Welcome to the Last Alliance University of Alberta Tolkien Society podcast. Join us this year as we venture into Valerian with the great heroes of the Elder Days and do battle with the Dark Lord Morgoth. We hope you enjoy our discussion of the Silmarillion. So, we are doing chapters uh, 10 and 11 today, so of the Sindar and of the Sun and the Moon and the Hiding of Elrond. So, we'll do what we normally do, go around, like things you don't like. Um, what, just a question, next week? Next week is, it's, yeah, next week we don't yeah. have it, because it's reading week, and then I think it's 12, 13, and 14. Yeah, because Man is super short, Yeah. and of the return of the Middle Order. And then it is pale in comparison to the Oh, right. And then the Realms of Valerian, which we may not. And that's not that long. We might not discuss if we don't want to. Oh, we'll discuss it. Oh, no. I'm so sad that I'm not going to be here for the second hour for that. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll do it in the first hour just for you, Josh. We'll start with the Valerian. Oh. Why? Because. Why? Well, Nick, you're going to find out why when we discuss it. And not only are you going to read it, but you're going to like it. Okay? Fine. Okay, so any comments on our, to start us off on the two chapters between today, chapter 10 and 11 of the sun and the moon? Yes, Tristan, go ahead and we'll go counterclockwise. I don't remember her name, but the spirit of fire who was never converted into a Balrog by Morkarth in the shadow, it's like, I really like her. Yeah. She seems like a nice person. Yeah. As Maya go, <laughs> being just literal to white people had fire. Yeah. Good? I, I forgot. Good. How good the sun and the moon are. Um, how so, just so, so much in this chapter. How um, the sun and the moon are like gender swapped from tradition. Um, and I'm sure there could be all sorts of parallels drawn about how um, Isil is male and Anar is female, and Isildur and Athelion get a lot more action than Anorian and Anarian do. Hmm. Or how, alternatively, how Menesith was the one that gets conquered and corrupted. Hmm. And also, yes, this little insight into the Maiar, nature of the Maiar. So much, so much good stuff. So much. I enjoyed the brief history of the Sindar mm -hmm. before the important people showed up. <laughs> Thingle is the important person. and I thought, uh, I thought it was neat how, you know, the whole spirit of fire, and I like the fact that Morgoth chose to, like, assault the spirit of the moon and was sort of afraid to face the sun. I thought that was mm, an yeah. interesting kind of image, just, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe it's speaking to sort of he's so corrupt that he, he can't stand sunlight, he's sort of vampiric in a way. Um, and I liked how the spirit of the moon was uh, Maiar of Orme, the hunter, mm -hmm. and it just, uh, you know, interesting to draw parallels, you know, with, like, um, Huan, you know, the famous hound was belonging to Orome, and uh, you know, moons are associated with like werewolves, which are also in the story. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm sure I'm reaching, but like, it's just interesting also how uh, interesting how uh, sort of you know, uh, I wonder if like Tolkien was sort of meant more with kind of who he placed as the spirits of the moon. Hmm. Uh, I actually. Uh, 
was out of town this weekend. I didn't have time to read chapter 11. I wanted to read it this morning, but I had a student come in, which was great, and we talked for a long time, so that was the end of that. Um, so uh, in terms of chapter 10, of course, I like the, the arrival of the dwarves, and uh, it'd be fun to talk about that, and how, uh, yeah, the dwarves, I think, even in the, in the Book of Lost Tales, we don't get an origin story for the dwarves, right? They all of a sudden appear, yeah. right? And, um, and here we get an origin story, but not really. Like, we don't get an awakening story. We don't get a, right? We know, we know how they start, and they're put to sleep, and then suddenly they're there, right? And I always wondered uh, why Tolkien never sort of, unless it's in Morgoth's ring or something. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. I imagine it's just because um, having a third species that is sentient and intelligent and all that throws a wrench into the children of a loop. Right, yeah. Examine it too closely. Yeah, yeah. That could be. Anyway, it'd be fun. It may, if we get to them, that'd be okay. There's lots of stuff. There's stuff too. The elves didn't think they were worth the backstory. Um, I mean, yeah. like parts with the uh, the Sindar <laughs> yeah. and the Sun and the Moon, and by that I mean I've been working on client projects until the wee hours of the morning. Mm. And this morning I almost ended up on my way back to Short Park because I passed out on the bus. I'm fine. <laughs> Do you need to take a nap for these two hours? It feels like it. <laughs> nice. Okay. I really like the description of like the, the bliss of the Sindar and the way they were living. It's really um, elaborate and beautiful. I like that. I also was fond of the part where they just the moon doesn't keep to its courses. I love it's just that. like it's just yeah. really erratic because it likes to be near the sun. <laughs> <laughs> but it really just kind of catches on fire when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, that, that language where sometimes you're in the sky at the same time. You know, it's like I get the moon, right? Yeah. Why? That's really good. <laughs> I didn't Okay. I'm two weeks behind. I was okay. gonna read some this morning and forgot the book on my books on my bedside. Ah, so I'm sorry. I'm here to listen today. Yep, good. We appreciate you guys. <laughs> yeah. You can contribute to even if you haven't read it. Uh I mean, a lot of my points uh, have been mentioned. Uh, I like the kind of I, I didn't quite figure it all out, but like how the the paths of the sun and moon aren't like immediately uh you know east to west there's a bunch of like uh, let's start you going back and forth <laughs> first yeah. uh okay let's not have you both at the same time so what do you go underground for a little bit <laughs> and you know and, and then eventually because <clears throat> they do rise in the west first and then you yeah. know then they start going east to west later and the whole like oh morgoth's coming to like you know capture the sun so let's like build some mountains around the world in Valinor to keep that from happening I thought that was kind of interesting I also like the door the like the dwarf and elf stuff how you know the dwarves get their language from the elves yep. and the whole like economy of pearls <laughs> right. so. and orcs orcs show up that's right mm -hmm. good I have not read a Tolkien book recently but if you wanted to know anything about the economics of the lumber industry, <laughs> I just wrote an essay on that. Okay. How does that relate to Thingol's expansion into Doriath and his excessive logging over the area of Nargothorn? I think the excessive logging is... Cutting trees down is bad. <laughs> cool. 
Uh, Ryan, any thoughts over there? Oh, glad you found us. You don't get to skip out. <laughs> I'm also glad I found you, by the way. Um, so, as always, I have a million different thoughts about these three chapters. Um, but the one I'll mention is this, the whole Sun and Moon mythology really seems to be made on its own. Like, I'm positive that Tolkien must have come up with this on his own and then worked it into the Silmarillion, because it does seem kind of artificially put in there, in my opinion. Um, and it's just like all the stuff with the Maya pushing it, like, and how the and how the moon wants to get closer to the sun. Like it's, it seems to be like this is one of the first myths you would create. If you get my drift. Also, um, he used the word grots um, in describing where the sun's beams can go in Arda, and I didn't know grots was a word, so I learned something new. Today. Mm, nice. What does grots mean? Um, it says. The sun gets into the grots and caverns at the root of Arda. I so assume it's related to grotto. Yeah, I was I just saying so. grotto. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it's a kind of cave, right? Or an, an archaic word or something? Yeah, grotto. Um, okay, so uh, we have to start with the end of chapter nine because we never did get to the Doom of Mandos, and I wanted to spend a little bit of time on that. So. Uh, so uh, I'm going to ask um, someone to read the Doom of Mandos. Yes. Now I have to find where it is. <laughs> it's uh, towards the end of that chapter. It starts with tears unnumbered, but I think you could probably read uh, where it starts. The paragraph before there, they beheld suddenly a dark figure. Okay. And then to when? Read until the end of his doom. Until the valor have spoken. Yeah. There they beheld suddenly a dark figure standing high upon a rock that looked down upon the shore. Some say that it was Mandos himself, and no lesser herald of Manway. And they heard a loud voice, solemn and terrible, that bade them stand and give ear. Then all halted and stood still, and from end to end of the hosts of the Noldor, the voice was heard speaking the curse and prophecy which is called the prophecy of the North and the doom of the Noldor. Much it foretold in dark words, which the Noldor understood not until the woes indeed after befell them, but all heard the curse that was uttered upon those that would not stay nor seek the doom and pardon of the Valar. Tears unnumbered ye shall shed, and the Valar will fence Valinor against you, and shut you out, so that not even the echo of your lamentation shall pass over the mountains. On the house of Thanar the wrath of the Valar lieth from the west unto the uttermost east, and upon all that will follow them it shall be laid also. Their oath shall drive them, and yet betray them, and ever snatch away the very treasures that they have sworn to pursue. To evil end shall all things turn, that they begin well and by treason of kin unto kin, and the fear of treason, shall this come to pass. The dispossessed shall they be forever. Ye have spilled the blood of your kindred unrighteously, and have stand stained the land of Amman. For blood ye shall render blood, and beyond Amman ye shall dwell in death's shadow. For though Eru appointed you to die not in Ea, and no sickness may assail you, yet slain ye may be, and slain ye shall be, by weapon and by torment and by grief, and your houseless spirit shall come then to Mandos. There long shall ye abide and yearn for your bodies, and find little pity, though 
uh, all whom ye have slain should entreat for you. And those that endure in Middle Earth and come not to Mandos shall grow weary of the world as with a great burden, and shall wane, and shall and become as shadows of regret before the younger race that cometh after. The Valar have spoken. Okay. Doom. Yes. <laughs> doom and gloom. Any thoughts? Any comments on that? On the doom and how doom works and what doom means for Tolkien? Yeah, Tristan? I really enjoyed the uh, line about you shall shed unnumbered tears when mm -hmm. they end up calling the battle in the right. Anoidiad, Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Yep. I thought that was, you know, either they drew it from that or just prophecy. Mm. Okay. I'm just kind of wondering how much of this continues to apply. I know we, I know that some of it continues to apply to Galadriel. But I'm wondering how much of it continues to apply to Celebrimbor. Because mm. he he never really seems to be affected by this, and the whole incident with the rings is kind of outside of this. It's mm -hmm. separate. So. Was Celebrimbor born at this time? He was not, as far as no. I know. No. Well, then the doom does not fall upon him. He didn't take the oath. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to be easy about it. I mean, right, but, but, the, but, but, the old, but the oath is only taken by Feanor and his sons. Yeah. Right. Like, but it's all the Noldor that all the, are all the Noldor that go. All the Noldor that leave, but Celebrimbor right. did not make that decision. But it right. does, but the doom does lie on the house of Feanor, of which he is certainly a part. Yeah. Well, and it's hard to read too much into the Celebrimbor story because we don't have that much information. Yeah. Well, there's right. that, and he was also the only grandson of Feanor, so we won't, we don't know if, you know, like, if more of his sons had children. We don't know if it was sort of blanket applied to all of them, or right. it was just like an isolated incident for him. Yeah. To but be I mean, to be fair, shadow of regret. <laughs> the moment the moment he hears Sauron's word, I'm sure he had a lot of regret. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it talks about treason and betrayal, right? And certainly there is the language of betrayal of Celebrimbor when when he when Sauron puts on the ring, right? And Celebrimbor knows they were betrayed, right? Mm -hmm. So you wonder with, I mean, it's hard to know whether Celebrimbor had a similar sense of ownership of the rings of power that Feanor would have had with the Silmarils, right? But again, we're just not told enough to, to say. Um, but certainly Elrond already, right, fears treason, right? And, and, and they, like he says that in the Council of Elrond, right? Treason has always been our... And so he, Elrond certainly sees the doom as something that seems to have at least the shadow of it continues to haunt them, right? mm -hmm. yeah. even that far away. So. Well, yeah. he's got a fairly close relationship with Galadriel, too. Right, yeah. Who does survive from the Elder Days, from the Doom of Mandos, into <clears throat> Lord of the Rings? Is it just Círdan and Galadriel? I believe so. I think yeah. so. Círdan's never so. over there. Well, Elrond. But but he's born. He's, not born. he's born after the fact. He's, he, after he, what fact? After like way after this, he's one of the last. Yeah, but he's still part of the second age. He's still right. part of the second age, but he's not. Mm -hmm. But so is. He did not but do so the is, um, No, but do, I think I'm oh, sorry. I'm not sure what the question was. I, I was wondering how many people who heard the Doom Mando. Oh, who heard the actual Doom? Yeah. That's but I think the Doom echoes all the way through the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you were counting Elrond and um, Thranduil. Right. Would also count because he's yeah. right. Second age yeah. or yeah, or first age as well. 
Yeah, they're both, so, they're both yeah. first age. What I find interesting is it seems here that the fading of the elves is not by nature, but is is a, is a consequence of the act. Like, it's part of the doom, right? I, I would disagree the, with that because... The sun, when the sun rises, there's also the talk about that heralding the fading of the elves as well. Are you including, like, their eventual departure from Middle-earth? Right. Well, look, right there, long he shall abide in your... Our, uh, and those that endure in Middle-earth shall come not to Mandos and shall grow weary of the world as with a great burden and shall wane and become as shadows of regret before the younger race that cometh after. I mean, it's right in there. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes, Sarah? I thought that was actually particularly interesting because that's what they feared would happen. Mm-hmm. And so, like, one of the catalysts for all of this rebellion that Thanos is talking about is he thinks that they're going to be usurped. Um, and then he's like, well, you didn't stop to listen to us. Well, how about how you weren't going to be usurped. You didn't stop to pay attention to what we were telling you. So now you are going to be usurped. Like, <laughs> get over yourselves. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, right? Well, that leads to my main question about the whole doom, is to how much is it, this is your punishment, and how much is this is the consequence of your actions naturally? So it's like, are the Valar making all these things happen, or is it just this is what's going to happen since you have done this? Right. So I think that's a good question. I think the the weight is. Oh, I'll let Sarah. So I was going to say it must be. Part, I think it's probably part both because you have some things that seem like natural consequences, but also like. Um, your house of spirits shall come then to Mandos. There long shall ye abide and for your bodies. We find little pity, though all you whom you have slain should entreat for you. That's Mandos actively being like, like even if the people that you kill come to be on your side, and they're like, no, give them back their bodies. Like, it's okay. I will hold this grudge against you as long as I want to. <laughs> and, and let's face it, this is pointed at you, Feanor. There certainly is some form of punishment in that, in that Mandos is not going to let them be reborn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And also in the fencing of Valinor against them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? So that so there is there is I think, but I think you're right, Ryan. Like like look at the language of consequence, right? Their oath shall drink, and yet betray them, and ever snatch away the very treasure that right. So there you see that it's the oath that they themselves have taken that they isn't they're now going to bear the consequences of that oath, right? So um, right to evil end shall all. I find it what else what I also find interesting is how how and. I don't know what to make of this, but how closely this line, right? Their oath shall drive them and yet betray them and ever snatch away the very treasures that they have sworn to pursue. To evil end shall all things turn that they begin well. It sounds very similar to the description of Turin Turambar in the Lays of Thornhide. Right? And in Turin Turambar, there's also a kind of doom. In this case, it's the doom of Morgoth, right? So it'd be interesting when you get to Turin Turambar to compare Morgoth's doom with Mandos's doom, right? And again, to see how that, because I, I mean, that's the big question of Turin Turambar is how much of this is consequences of his own stupidity and rashness, and how much of this is actually Morgoth, right? And I think we could ask the same question as we go through the entire Silmarillion. How much of this is the Noldor making silly mistakes or the sons of Fanor, right? And how much of this is, in fact, the doom that's playing out? Right? I'm going to put forward a theory on the um, 
grow weary of the world passage. Yeah. Um, I think that that's more of a consequence because they're going back to Middle Earth and will now be interacting with the men who change the world a lot faster than the elves ever would. Mm -hmm. Being the, the elves are largely creatures of memory, and I think if they were to remain in Valinor, where things were more static, um, their memory would line up more with what actually existed. The memory and the reality would be in more conjunction than it's going to be in Middle Earth. Okay. Yeah. To that, I would add that they've the Noldor especially have seen the trees, and that longing stays in their heart, right? Forever, and especially once the Silmarils are completely gone and unattainable. Mm -hmm. I.e., one is in the sea and one is in a volcano. Right. The other's in space. Yeah. Earth, water. So, yeah. so one question I would have around this is, we've we're already we've already gotten hints that. It was a mistake for the Nol for the Valor to bring the Noldor to Valinor, right? We're getting little hints of that, right? So it raises the question of what if they had never done that? What if the elves had never come to Valinor? Like Olmo right? initially, right? For exactly, it. right? Which would include Thingol, right? Because when we get to the Sindar, we'll see that the rise of the Sindar is largely because Thingol has seen the trees, right? Mm -hmm. So he would not be an example, you know. I mean, he, he's already yeah. sort of, to, you know. It's a wrong word, but he's sort of tainted already. You know what I mean? So, what you know, because the elves are one thing we know from the elves is that they are tied to Middle Earth, right? That's how they understand themselves, right? So, if they had never gone to Valinor, right, would not they? Would I? My theory, right? If we're putting forward theories, my theory is that if they had not gone to Valinor, they would not experience the fate. They would be, you know. And then we would have, when, the, when men arrive, right, we would have a very interesting relationship, right? Because I think you're right, the men are fast or whatever. But I think you would still have a, 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 the sort of adults teaching the children sort of thing. But it would be much more harmonious, much more... Of course, Morgoth is always in the back already, so that messes me up. Anyway, but, but I... Because I, I read this as the fading itself is part of the doom, which would not have happened if there hadn't been the kinslaying, if there hadn't... But that's a theory. I, I just want to ask a couple yeah. of clarification questions about yes. this thought experiment. Sure. Um, in, in my understanding, the elves aren't necessarily tied to Middle Earth. They're just tied to Arda. But I'm, I'm not entirely sure on that. And are we are we looking at the Valar just don't interact with the elves at all and leave them in Middle Earth? In which case, I expect Morgoth just takes them over. Or are they like? doing the aroma thing and coming in and talking to them and teaching them mm -hmm. and sort of protecting them but without bringing them to Valinor. Mm -hmm. So, in answer to your first question, I think yes. I think that it's meant Arda, but I think in the language it's used, it's always used as the elves are tied to Middle-earth, mm -hmm. right? Which I think means they're tied to the physical creation, right? And that they, and they and they will die with it, right? They will they will endure as long as Arda endures. Mm -hmm. I think that maybe yeah, yeah, their, yeah. their lifespan yeah. is the lifespan of Arda. Right, yeah. So in that sense, there would be no fading as long as Arda, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But the fading is a result of... So even though before this text, we get the sense that elves only die from grief or from... Right? That, I think, is sort of 
retroactively said post this duty. So the nature of the elves to fade is because of the doom, not because it's their nature from their start, I guess is maybe what I'm suggesting. Ryan, did you have uh... Um, I just wanted to say I don't know how much your thought experiment really flies. Like it's mm -hmm. um, mostly because Morgoth, like the whole reason they fall, fell out of Valinor, I don't necessarily think is because it was wrong for the elves, for the Valar to bring the elves there. I think it was all more, all more. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and even if they remained in Middle Earth, um, I'm sure Morgoth, once he was freed, it might take a bit more time, but would go over there and then start corrupting them and probably just leave them fighting themselves um, for a long time. So, right. So, I mean, I mean, this is a, a big what if, right? I mean, true. you could argue that uh, if they had never brought the Noldor over, then because Morgoth was was put away for a certain amount of ages when the Noldor mm -hmm. awoke, right? So if the if the Noldor had never come over, then when Morgoth was released, he never would have had he never would have encountered fame. The Noldor wouldn't have been in Valinor, so he never would have encountered them. Never would have right. And maybe then they would have the Valor would have been able to control him more. Uh, anyway, this is all really speculative at this point. But except to say, I still think the fading seems to be tied to this more than to Morgoth directly. That seems to make sense. Right, uh, Nick, and then Tristan. And then we do have to move on. Yes. Well, yeah, I was just gonna say like, you know, if because like the Noldor coming over, that meant that Feanor was born, and that the Silmarils were created after the trees were destroyed, and. Uh, right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but what? Uh, that makes no sense. Which? Well, no, the, the Silmarils were created before the trees were destroyed. But right, right, yeah, yeah, but, yeah but, like, but, but like I'm saying, like right. the, the Silmarils would not have been if you know the Noldor hadn't right. been there, ergo Feanor. Right. Um, and like, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, like Morgoth and Ungoliant destroying the trees, um, like his sort of initial exile, which led to him kind of allying with Ungoliant, uh, was that like largely uh, separate from like his sort of manipulation of the Noldor, or was that kind of like once? Or was that like as, as a result of his manipulations, the Valor knew something was going on and he fled? That one. Number two. Okay, yeah. Just because, yeah, just because, like, otherwise, you know, like, the purpose, like, the Noldor coming over and Feanor, like, his sort of greatest achievement was the Silmarils. Right. You know, sort of without him, they, they would not have been. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then, yeah, just like for the whole fading thing, I think, like, yeah, because the elves have been to Valinor, they've seen, like, quote unquote, the light of creation, like, this sort of golden light uh, of the Valar in the trees, you know, but like, and when they leave, all they have is memory. And even though they can live forever and, and they all are constantly looking backwards, memory is but a pale imitation of the real thing. Mm -hmm. So that sort of like lends itself to like the, the fading because like, because they have seen such heights, they can never, they can only ever hope to try and replicate it, but not perfectly in Middle Earth. Okay. Uh, Jordan? Um. I was just going to say that the um, the mere fact that Valinor exists, I think, already shows a sort of um, concentration of the Valar. Uh, like, that, I mean, out of, you know, whatever good intentions, they have concentrated all their power into one tiny island on the, you know, the sh shores of the world. Um, and I think it is out of almost that desire to have everything in one place that makes them almost abandon the, the major right. continent and then it's like 
okay, so when, the el when we find the elves, then we bring them here with us where all the good stuff is instead of, you know, uh, actually just spreading out and having the light and everything for everyone, you know, for the entire continent, which is, you know, kind of the creation of the sun and moon is almost, you know, it's, it's shown as a, you know, it's a lesser versions of the light of the trees, but it is much more uniformly accessible and actually blesses the entire continent instead of just, you know, whatever yeah. slivers get passed through the mountains of Valinor. Right. So okay. I, I, I think you almost have to go further back and figure out, like, it, it just seems weird to only start at, you know, when should we bring the elves over? I think there's there's a part of the, the Valar's nature that is kind of, we want to just collect everything in mm. here. Okay. Sarah? Um, none of the elves have stayed behind to do anything. So, like, I, would, I went through and I looked at what, I was, like, looking um, using the index at, like, all the other mentions of the Avari and um, the Black Fendi. The only other mentions of the Green Elves of Syrian is in relation to the Sindar. The Avari just hang around and there's, like, one other mention of them in which um, it essentially just says, and they were over here, and they didn't know anything about what was going on in Valeria, and then they would, and that's all. They were just there, doing their own thing. But they, they, they don't have, um, uh, they don't appear to have made any great strides towards making something of themselves. They seem to be more um, nomadic uh, and similar <coughs> cultures as opposed to people who are creating kingdoms for the okay. Uh Okay, that's a good, and we could probably talk more about it, but we're going to move on. I think that's a nice segue into the Sindar, Sarah, so thank you for that. Um, so, okay, the Sindar. I do like how you do. You have a bit of a reunion, right, where Elway comes back. And uh, I think it's sort of natural that uh, in their joy of having his return that they would gather to him, right? Uh, in addition to the fact that, yeah, he has the light of the trees in his eyes, so I mean, there's something well, also, a lot of the people who are left there are the ones who stayed behind right. just to look for him, exactly. and he's been, you yeah. know, standing still for a yeah. few thousand right. years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably needs some, like, nice new shoes. Right. <laughs> Dr. Schultz. If he even had shoes to begin with. Um, okay, so, uh, so they, he gathers them, they become the Sindar, um, Melian is uh, right. Awesome. Though Middle Earth lay for the most part in the sleep of Yavanna in Valerian, under the power of Melian there was life and joy, and the bright stars shone as silver quarters. And there, in the forest of Neldoreth, Luthien was born, and the white flowers of Nifferdel came forth to greet her as stars from the earth. I like these little hints of Luthien before we get to Luthien. <clears throat> I can't actually remember the, the white flowers of Nifferdel. It, it says in the back are the same ones that show up in Lothlorien, but I'm trying to remember if those are also the ones that grow on the graves of the Kings of Rohan. No, that's in the mind. That's a different flower. Okay. A different fancy white flower. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Five petals versus four petals. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes, Ryan. Um, can See I, you, Chris. Can I just ask a clarification on what does the girdle of Melian look like? Because, like, there's the boundary thing, but, like, 
it, it says like darkness and shadow someplace. Well, but I'm like with some lace. I don't. Know. Well, you don't you don't see it. That's the you point. You 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 walk in and it's like the lost woods. You just get booted out. You I can't actually find your way through it. I imagine it's something like the Isles of Shadow that go up around Valinor. It's just it's shadow, not in the form of not in the sense of Morgoth, but in the sense of just um, a confusing enchantment. Yeah. I think if you want to experience it. Drive around Washington D.C. Because <laughs> that, that so city, that city was actually the city was actually designed to prevent armies from getting to the center, right? And they've somehow maintained that so that when you do actually try to drive to the center, you, it's very easy to find yourself turned around and going in the opposite direction. Also, maybe drugs. They might help too. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Drive to the center of Washington D.C. on drugs. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure you won't get arrested. <laughs> Watch, that's what gets him to the center. <laughs> because he's not drunk. So, yeah, I don't think it's a physical, I don't think there's a physical barrier. Mm. It's just a g general sense of, like, unease and, and, you know, like, for example, you might see a forest and you, you try to, like, run, you know, keep a straight path all, all the way through, but you get turned, like, it's like in The Hobbit when they go through the forest. As soon as they get off the path, they're, t they're turned around, they're seeing things, and all of a sudden, like, they're not where they're supposed to be. Th that's sort of how I envision it to be. Well... To be fair, though, what Mirkwood is, you know, does also happen to the forest around the girdle. I think because yeah. the spider, the, yeah, the rest yeah, of Ungoliant's yeah. brood do eventually come, and they do do that as well. Right, yeah. So it's two yeah, slightly yeah, it different may, effects. It may be more like the old forest. Yeah. Right. Where you're walking and, and you think you're on a path, but then all of a sudden there's no path. Right. Now whether I mean I don't think the old I don't think the trees move the way they do in the old forest. Right. The old forest seems almost. More Entish than 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 say uh, uh, or, or the uh, Doria. Sorry. That's where the Entwives are. They just didn't realize it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's all. So I don't know. Does that does that help, Ryan? Like it's. I believe so. Yeah, it's kind of hard to pin down, but I, think, I don't think it's an I actual it girdle. Has, is I think it saying. has to be yeah. by definition part of it. Yeah. 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 It's part of the nature of fairy. Yeah, Tristan? I have a question, actually, about the relationship between Mercord and Manigroth, because you have, like, the girdle of Melian, which surrounds Manigroth and is this lovely defense that has some really weird stuff happening on the end of it where it, on the edge of it, where it blends with Morgoth's power. Mm -hmm. And you get the same sort of effect happening in Mercord, and you have some really weird stuff happening around the edge of it where it blends with Sauron's power. Also, Thranduil came out of Manigroth, so I'm wondering if there's some of the same enchantment stuff going on, if there's any yeah, there's, evidence besides circumstantial to support that? Yeah, there's two things There's two things going on in Mirkwood, right? One is, there's the power of the Necromancer, mm -hmm. right? From Dole Guldor. Yeah. And there's when you get the description of the forest being dark, mm -hmm. and you get the sense of the trees are actually in competition with each other, you know what I mean? And there's no light, right? So that's the one side. But then the, the Perilous Realm side is, of course, when they go trying to Step into the light of the of the dinner of the Elven party, mm -hmm. and they get all disoriented. That's definitely Thranduil, not Dol Guldur, yeah, yeah. right? So now the Enchanted River is an interesting one, right? Which I that strikes me as more Thranduil than yeah, yeah that strikes me as more Thranduil. Right? Yeah. But but I don't think you get the the darkness of Mirkwood, the, the the threatening, the competition. That I think would be missing in Dorian. I don't yeah, think it would be in right. Doyeth, but it might be in the Nandangathep region. And sure. The, 
yeah. where you get the mixture between Melian's power and Morgoth's. Right, that that area might be more of a Markward kind of sense. Yeah, yeah that's true. And yes, the halls of Thranduil were totally built, built in up. emulation. Oh yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, even in The Hobbit we get that, yeah. where he wants to have something like this Sires of Old. Or whatever. Yeah. So does that make Legolas the backup Luthien? No. <laughs> Not even close. I'm sure there's a thousand screaming fans. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, well, if anyone listens to the podcast, we're going to get a whole bunch of... No, the backup Luthien is one of Arwen's brothers. Eladan? Or Eladan. <laughs> they have no distinguishing features. They are one entity. There's no backup Luthien. Let's just assume. Uh, okay, yeah, Robert? you got to consider that Gimli might be Baron, though. Actually, in the appendices, and they're trying to do the impossible. Legolas is trying to take a dwarf with him, which is supposed to be impossible. I will end this whole club if this continues. If this continues, I'm quitting and I'm leaving. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about the dwarves. I do like, uh, of course, Khazad-dûm. We get the first mention of Khazad-dûm. All the dwarven names are so fantastic. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, even the even the fact that they're so, oh oh sorry I thought that was the Timbits that they're all so far away. Yeah. Um, like we're talking about the Misty Mountains here, the Khazad-dûm. Mm-hmm. This is like as far away from Valerian as you can. Well, not quite as far. No. Yet, but I mean, it's it, yeah, it's a lot. No. Mm-hmm. One thing earlier when we were mentioning the fact that there is no really dwarf origin story, mm-hmm. like we just know that they awoke in the east somewhere and started yeah. coming west, and I guess I don't know. They're like Romans; they just build roads wherever they go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something, but um, I know one one thing. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if that's part of that might be the fact that there we don't have at, at this point in the. Silmarillion, none of the dwarves that we get to know are explicitly mentioned to be of the firstborns. Because I believe originally Meme is actually one of the first. He's like he's one he's like a Durin. He's one of the seven. No, no, no. I don't think so. He's not nearly no more. He, he he was and he got changed. It was in drafts. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, okay. Meme Meme was originally one of like yeah, he okay. was like a progenitor dwarf. Yeah. Oh, okay. But but that has you know, that was right. probably Decades, right. <laughs> at, you yeah. know, before this, the drafts that turned into this book that we have. Because means in the Book of Lost, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But there's no origin story for it in the Book of Lost. But I, I was just, I was just wondering if, yeah. not, not that we would have had an origin story, but the fact that we originally there were more, we might have had more connections to at least the first dwarves right. instead of just yeah. dwarves. Right. Just show they up. Happen. Yeah. They happen. They happen. Well, and, and it's and it's a question too of of and again we're reading we're reading this like Christopher has put this chronologically for us right yeah. but I don't know if of the Sindar was written before uh, Ali and Yavanna was written mm-hmm. right you know what I mean yeah right so who knows right uh, it does end up talking about the third age of Mor- uh, the third age of Morgoth's captivity so yeah. we're we're getting kind of Anyways, that was just a right. random thought that from, from previously. Yeah. yeah. So one thing you have is uh, initi- there's an initial cooperation between the elves and the elves, yeah. right? 
because obviously that thing that separated them has not happened yet. We get a hint of foreshadowing of it, of course. Uh, you know, if you stop if you stop writing the Silmarillion after this chapter, you would never know why. Uh, whatever it says, there's this line about you know that thing that hasn't happened yet. You would never know. Upcoming racial tension. Um, being called the stunted people didn't get Yeah, that yeah, best yeah. start. But yeah, but that might not. I mean, we look at that as an insult now, but that might not have been an insult for them. They were stunted. No, according to the elves, it wasn't. Right. And, and, you know, the dwarves were probably like, yeah, okay, we're not as tall as you. <laughs> the extended people? <laughs> that simply did not work out for a long time. Yeah, I, I imagine they would have called the elves the gangly ones. <laughs> the, the, those who hit their heads on caves. That's right, yes. Yeah, we don't know the dwarf word for elves. I think it's Five foot high, three may walk abreast. Who made this cave? <laughs> this yeah. tunnel? It's like Can't a, fit in it. And the shout of Worgen, there's a, a troll who like hates dwarves. They said they, you know, insulted your character by saying, "What? You're like some tunnel dusted dwarf." <laughs> it's like Yo, you filthy little dwarf, always mining and. Um, okay, so uh, we do find some. Did someone say that the elves taught the dwarves language? That's not true. Uh, the elves writing. taught the dwarves their language, but the dwarves already had a language. No, I writing. Oh, taught them writing. Rune. Ah, rune. Uh, ah, the writing. Yeah, okay. day. The cure. Yeah. Okay. See you, Tristan. Right. No, we got we got the uh, second the uh, second letters. Right. Because the cinder the cinder rarely use it. Dairon. Dairon the minstrel, chief lore master. Right. Uh, Incidentally, Dairon the minstrel shows up later in the land of Lithian. Right. Yes. In which he's extremely jealous of Baron, yes. and then goes off and wanders in the woods forever. Yes. <laughs> disappears. Yeah. 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 Although, what a glorious future. Yeah. Um, yeah. Devised his runes, and then Nogrim came to Thingol, uh, that came to Thingol, learned them, and were well pleased with the device, esteeming Dairon's skill higher than did the Sindar, his own people. So, okay, so uh, basically a lot of this chapter is just talking about the cooperation of the dwarves and the elves. They make a lot of really nice things together. The elves are good at certain things, the dwarves are good at other things. Uh, there is this line kind of that's that where suddenly Melian, right? Now, Melian had much foresight after the manner of the Maiar. And when the second age of the captivity of Melkor had passed, she counseled Thingol that the peace of Arda would not last forever. Mm -hmm. So that's when Thingol starts, right? They start making arms. Right for the yeah. first time. Uh, also because of the wolves. Yeah. Right. And as someone said, we are introduced to orcs. Mm -hmm. What does it say about orcs in this chapter? They're not sure, sure who they are. Right. And they guess too close. The, yeah, they correctly right. guess their own. Yeah. Perhaps to be a Vari who had become evil and savage in the wild, in which they guessed all too near, it is said. Right? Just tragic. Yes. Just the little hint. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because uh, it's Treebeard who says that elves, orcs are twisted elves, right? That's when we first hear that, right? Because he also says that trolls are twist, twisted ants, right? I thought there was something in there, uh, uh, something, something like that, that on the Elder 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 Elder. No, there's not. Yes, sir? Okay, <laughs> there, might, there might be, yeah, yeah. But I think Tolkien himself started backpedaling right. that later. Yeah. But yeah. for the slice that's in here, somewhere near the beginning, I think maybe when it's elves right, are first leaving. It's right when the elves are first waking up. 
Yeah. It says that some of them just wander off into the woods and they're Yeah, like when Morgoth like kidnaps them. Right. And they don't come back. The, the, yeah, the dark shadow. Of I'm pretty sure right. yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, read it just so we okay. could. Yeah. Um, but of those unhappy ones who were ensnared by Melkor, little is known of a certainty. For who of the living has ascended into the pits of Atumno or has explored the darkness of the councils of Melkor? Yet this is held true by the wisest of Erisea, that all those of the Quendi who came into the hands of Melkor ere Atumno was broken were put there in prison, and by slow arts of cruelty were corrupted and enslaved. And thus did Melkor breed the hideous race of the orcs in okay, envy and mockery of the elves. Yeah, okay. So Treebeard obviously had that knowledge. Which, of course, it makes sense that he would, because he was around. Uh, okay. Um, if I may. Um, yes. Where are the Ents in all of this? Like, why are they just not mentioned? Uh, just hold your horses. <laughs> yep, just be patient. I'm quite excited. Be patient. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so, um, or do you want me to tell you, or can you, can you wait? I can wait. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I think it mentions it in here. Uh, okay, uh, if not, if it doesn't, just send me an email or Facebook message, and I will, from Korea, I will <laughs> let you know. In uh, Korean. In, in Korean? <laughs> yeah. What's the Korean word for ent? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, um. We have the bit on Ungoliant and how she ends up in the mountains there. Mm -hmm. uh, we have the multiplication of the orcs. I don't know what else you want to talk about in this chapter, actually. Anything else that... Uh, um, I, I, there was one comment about how uh, the dwarves at this time felt that they had been paid in full for uh, uh, the creation of... Uh, it's not Margaret. Menegroth, which I thought was a the dwarves thought the, the dwarves the dwarves at the time thought they were well paid, mm, right. which I find to be you know a, a, ni a nice way of saying that and also uh, putting forward that they might not later right yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, you right. know the, the, yeah. kind of seeding yeah. in the the later tensions at, while we're you know while they're in relative peacetime yeah um. Actually, there is one thing we still have to talk to. It's the first war of Valerian happens in this chapter. Right. Yeah. Right. The first battle. The first battle in the wars of Valerian. Yeah. What did I say? The first war of Valerian. You said yeah. the first war. Yeah. The first. Yes. Denethor dies. Right. Yeah. Denethor gets gets smoked. Um, well. So okay. So you have this. Yeah. This first battle, and then I guess where the question comes is the result of this. Right. So. One yeah. result is that Thingol calls all of his people into Doriath and they put the girdle around it, right? So the question is, was that the best option at the time? Right? Like, if we're, doing the, we're gonna do the what if, which has sort of been a theme of this particular, like, what if they hadn't done that? What if they had, in fact, kept, um, battling or kept on at least uh, a, a, a foothold or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, instead of, because basically what happens is they create a little island, right? And then all around them it says, a sea of orcs, uh, a sea of orcs and, and so, right? And it's this watchful peace, right? But you wonder, I mean, I don't know, maybe they had no choice, maybe they couldn't sustain an actual sort of sustained conflict for over, I don't know. Especially given but, that they aren't, this is their first experience with warfare. 
you know, mm-hmm. before, like pretty good. Yeah, they did not too bad, but but still, like they're not sort of consummate warriors who kind of know like the toll of war. Like all yeah. they know is that they're being assailed from all sides, and you know, with the information they had, their best course was to ensure that there was, you know, a friendly kind of territory about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Sarah. Yeah, I think I think it's correct. I don't think they could sustain open warfare. I think they have to cut themselves off. Also, additionally, you see that before they go to war, Orme's been like hanging around, and at least they know he's there. He like mm-hmm. some, sometimes rides through, and you can hear his horn, and like, like, yeah, there's this guy. He's around. He's keeping us safe. It's all good. Um, they they have nothing. The Valar, in some, have nothing to do with this. They're just like war. Okay. Right. And just leave them yeah. to die. I mean, the, the mere fact that Kiridan and his sea folk are, you know, hemmed in on basically to the sea. I like yeah. I like the idea of just, just it was on yeah, like that, that you almost that they're oh, they're almost just living on their boats at this right. at this point. I because think. like it, it's not until the arrival of the Noldor that you have a, a, a kind of militarized force of elves yeah. because right. you know as, as terrible as it was, the Kinslaying was sort of they're like the Noldor kind of gaining like you know experience in warfare like granted it was slaughter no. but like no, to argue that though they were fighting unarmed friends yeah. that were they surprised and they just slaughtered them the Sindar fought orcs and won yeah, like but they are, but they are definitely more powerful, which is a big, big. Tank. And they're they're of more warlike like temperament. Yeah, is sort mm, of what I'm going yeah. for. and I guess if the Sindar hadn't you know gone back into Doriath, then there would have been other kingdoms when the Noldor showed up, and right. they wouldn't have, I guess, set up a colonial state. People are doing all their stuff. Okay, Ryan. I think it would be useful at this point to remember the connection between. Um, Elves of Doriath and um, the Elves of Alcalande there, because um, they're all, well, a lot of the Doriath Elves are Teleri. Um, so there there should be an interesting like, personality thing in which they can fight, as you saw in the Kinslay. Um, so I would say that they probably could do half decently in their battle against Morgoth, except they just don't want to. That's not what they're for. Well, like we have examples of. You know, so for like, like in the in the third age, where, like, when the falling of the kingdoms, for example, right, when, you know, Gondor is being attacked just at the same time that the North is being attacked, right, and and the North loses, right, but Gondor wins, and then Gondor sends ships up to come to the defense of the North. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm sort of like, like, what if Thingol instead of pulling in had actually gone to rescue Círdan, right? It, are we are we suggesting that he just didn't have the the means to do that? Right, and if he had, then you would again have a connection between Kyrdan and Kane and Thingol, which would have changed the. I, I don't know. I'm just playing yeah, right? yeah, Jordan. I, I think it would be a, a giant war of attrition, and frankly, the elves don't uh, breed quick enough to mm-hmm. <laughs> to, yeah. to kind of keep a hold on on Middle Earth because the orcs and the spiders all just they breed too quick. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, there is this. So, like, it's not. Oh yeah, Robert, go ahead. Uh, what's the what's the time difference from? Uh, this until the Noldor come back. What's, well, the, what's the rough time span? It does say that at the end of the chapter. Because theoretically, if it's a if it's a slim enough period of time, if they hadn't retreated and the Noldor showed up but weren't led by Feanor and didn't burn all the ships and 
take all the people behind, mm -hmm. then maybe some good could have come of all that. But I think without the Noldor assistance, they eventually would have just fallen. I, I mean, I mean, to be yeah. fair, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell with elves because they live so long. Yeah, it's like, I mean, the the whole like retreat into Doriath could have taken a you know a few decades to you know round up everybody. Yeah. Around the right. around the continent, being like, "Hey, we, we got new we got new digs out in Minecraft." <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I would say that it's a length of time, but I don't think it's a significant length of time, right? Because uh, you know, there's a watchful peace, but the new tidings were at hand. Banner comes and moves. Yeah. Yeah. I don't it's think it's not long after. after. Yeah, I, I think it's close enough. You know, like, yeah. Um, actually, it says just before um, um, Hingo calls on Denethor and all that. That this has all happened after the um, slaying of the trees. Because it's okay. a, Melkor slew the trees of the Valor with the aid of Ungoliant, and then it starts talking about Thingol Kalyon. Okay. So okay. it's all happening yeah. during the Noldor's flight. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but then, and so this retreat to Doran is happening then at the same time as they're landing in Moskar and right. the ships. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like Jordan said, I think it's true, you can't actually conceptualize how long that. Yeah, right. Um, it could have taken a very short period of time. It appears as a very short period of time, but also the elves, it could have been decades. Right. Yeah, but especially yeah. given... Like, Man, this is happening so fast. Especially, right. especially given that like it does say before conflict started that like the, the elves were just spread all throughout the kingdom in groups or individually. They were just you know wandering through the land, kind of spread out. They were never concentrated maybe, in like cities before. Maybe not decades, because I guess, I mean, depending on how quickly the Nold, the Noldor, like, Set, you know, send off from you know the darkening of Valinor. Uh, yeah. I mean, the 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 shortest amount of time you got is you know how quickly Feanor can ride a boat from Middle <laughs> Earth. Yeah. Should it be a decade? Yeah. Ah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Because to the hour, but even trying, though we've been speculating, because we're drawing <laughs> parallels between. Just like Earth, for example, sailing from even North America to Europe, you're looking mm -hmm. at like a few months, mm -hmm. right? And we know he left right away because he had what a ten-year exile that he built to come back and get everyone to So you know that all happened really, really quickly, like within a year. Yeah. And then they would have left, got on the ships, and sailed. So a year or two tops. Yeah. For me, the connection, what I like, is the withdrawal of. Single rebellion into Doriath with the withdrawal of Turgon into Gondolin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And and uh, in both cases, right, it's always the question of, and this is this is sort of the right, um, and we're going to get this when we get to um, a bit later, right? When Umo, so this is kind of jumping ahead, right? When Umo basically says to Turgon, "Look, you're not going to beat Morgoth through battle," yeah. right? And that's why he says you should find a spot, a hidden kingdom. Right? So, so there's always this tension in the Silmarillion, which I like, between the 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 desire or the need to just remain hidden and wait, and the desire to go out, and that comes up really strongly in Turin, right? Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in Hu and Hurin as well, actually, right? And uh, so. Yeah, so I mean that—that's I guess something to to pay attention to as a theme in the story, right? Is this uh, because you can sort of see how both the times of waiting were necessary to move the story forward, 
but also the times of battle were necessary to move the story forward, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, and this is totally jumping ahead for spoilers, right? Like, if Turin hadn't killed Glaurung, right, then there's no way that Arendil would have been able to escape through there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, so, so Turin then becomes Turin's sort of desire to to ignore kind of the valor, saying you're not going to win this by force of arms and bring the elves out into battle actually makes for it possible for Arendel to get where he needs to go. You know, so there's this kind of weird tension play around this idea of do we hide and not fight or do we fight and right? Uh, even the, 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 you know, the battle that hems Morgoth in and you have that watchful piece for before he breaks the siege, just right, the siege of Angband, right. right? Even that allows for well, it lasts for Baron Luthien, for one. You know what I mean? So there's a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Robert? I think you can see this um, echoed in a lesser sense in The Lord of the Rings. Because mm -hmm. the retreat into Minas Tirith is absolutely necessary for survival. But the idea that they should remain there and use it as a stronghold would have ultimately destroyed them. Right, that's a good actually, right That's out. a really good, yeah. yes, nice. That's a really good, uh, and they're all tempted with that, right? And that's one of the things I, sorry, hated about the movies, mm. right, is when Thingol says no to go to help Minas Tirith, right? And has uh, to be sort of like shamed into it by Aragorn. Like, wow. Okay, but that's all. So, oh, oh. What did I say? Thingol. You said Thingol. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Thierden, I should have said. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, well, and that goes to what, like, Gandalf was saying, you know, like, because Denethor was so focused on saving the city, you know, right. like, Gondor was... Ministerith was everything in his yeah. mind, but Gandalf said, "No, no, that is only like one city. What matters right. is that exactly. the world survives." You know? Yeah, and Turgon falls into that too, as we'll see. Right, he gets very attached to to Gondor. Okay, so anyway, that was jumping around a bit. Now we're on chapter eleven. Uh, I seem to recall, I couldn't find, I didn't look it up, but I seem to recall a letter where Tolkien said that this, the sun and the moon, is one of the things that he. Hated is probably too strong, but he was never satisfied with the sun and the moon in his story, right? Uh, and and he tried a number of variations of it and was just never, never content. I don't know how Christopher picked, you know, but this is the one we got. Um, and we actually start with back in Valinor, right? Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, in Valinor, yeah. To, you know, kind of too bad yeah. because we had to do at the beginning of this right. talk, but yeah, because we have the whole. Uh, it will have been good to have been, and yet remain evil. Right. Line. Ah, uh, yeah, right. That's the, 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 yes, the first paragraph here. Yeah, which we do have to talk about. And I do love how, um, and the Valar mourned not more for the death of the trees than for the marring of Feanor. Yes. Of the works of Melkor, one of the most evil. Like, there's something really <sighs> humor or pastoral about that, right? That that it's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the person more than the thing. That they that they mourn in terms of loss, which I think is is right actually. And Mama cries over it. Yes. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure this is the only time that anyone besides me and I gets to cry. Yeah. <laughs> well, or that uh, Manway showed any yeah, emotion. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yvonne, I think Yvonne. I'm sure she. I'm but, sure she wept. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just I think, I think like the biggest thing with that is just like ruined potential. You right. know, like we we're saying. However many weeks ago, like when sort of Feanor like began his kind of descent, his, his fall, like just imagining sort of what he might have accomplished had he not sort of fallen sway to Morgoth's manipulations, and you know let his sort of rash nature get the better of him, 
it's just the fact that like even despite all of that, he created the Silmarils, the Palantir, like all of these wonderful things that impacted the history of the world so much. You know, it just begs the question, like how much sort of of the future has Morgoth tainted by setting Feanor down this path? Right. It's just, you know, a similar thing to like, you know, Anakin Skywalker or whatever. Uh, yeah, just like just the whole, the tragedy here. I mean, yes, the trees are destroyed, but at least they were around for a long time and they are now preserved in the Silmarils. But Feanor, we we can never get that particular like future, his sort of full potential that will never be realized because right. he has gone down this particular path. He can never go down yep. his original path, and that's the most tragic thing about that. Yeah, which which I really like. Yeah, right. Um, I think if the fact that they're mourning Feanor. Um, is very important in our discussions whether or not Feanor is a sociopath. Um, just because they don't see him as this um, someone who's really um, altered and um, disordered at the very core of his being. Right. Um, they see him as amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we should trust the Valor's opinion on that. So it's very much, he was very, very, very good. He started good and mm -hmm. twisted and twisted yeah, and twisted. Just misguided. I, and the fact that they were mourning him for some reason, really made Boromir pop into my head. Um, ah, and right. the connections between Boromir was also right. the greatest in yeah. Minas Tirith and fell yeah. and wandered yeah. for his own. Yeah. Um, to kind of counter that, because I, I agree with you that like, they, they, they think that he was really great and now see him as having fallen considerably, right? Um, and don't see him as having been flawed from the beginning. But we've also already pointed out that. Um, the Valar have trouble seeing evil in other people. <laughs> Some um, of them do. Manwe does. Manwe, Manwe especially yeah, does. Yeah, but I don't think others do necessarily. Um, yeah. So, like, knows, if, in the sense that they can stick, they can still get enough of a vote that they keep letting Melkor go. <laughs> like they still get enough of a vote out of it, even if there are some people who are like, maybe we should, maybe we should not. They, there is still enough of them that are like, this but he time. might still be good. <laughs> right. So I'd like yeah. to point out that just because they don't think Feanor's is a sociopath doesn't mean he isn't. Right, but but Ryan's point is correct in that, like Tolkien says, nothing is evil in the beginning. Yeah. Right. So Feanor is not a sociopath from the start. Right, because that would suggest that he was born. There was something wrong with him in, right from the very. And for Tolkien, I think, at least in his theology, that's not the case. There's always a twisting that happens, right? And and, and possibly and, always a possibly always a, 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 an ability for redemption. Yes, right, yeah. right. Which is kind of, I think, you know, um, you know, if you want to be um, not think of Manway as an idiot, <laughs> the, I, the the thing you would probably want to say is that he is the one always wanting to be gracious and to hope for the best yeah. out of Melkor. Um, even though uh, Melkor takes advantage of that. Sure, for sure. Yeah, because Feanor yeah. was always, you know, like the word fiery is always used in that metaphor mm -hmm. for him, but that only became really, that, that turned into a kind of wrath and vanity and pride later on. Right. Uh, I mean, yes, he was, he always like, there was always some element of pride, but it didn't become as sort of possessive as, as Morgoth's kind of pride until later on. Well, but he was we selfish saw, from uh, the time that he was a child. Like, he was selfish as soon as his dad got remarried. Like, that, that was the start of things. Right, but that's not the start of him. No. 
right? But it's it's so still so what we can start, right? But what, so, so we can so we can trace that we can trace his fall, right? So it's he's not fallen from the start. Yes. We can see it happening, progressing. Right? Just like Diggle, well, he didn't listen to his wife enough. Well, we can yeah. see the <laughs> symptoms of the start. We can we can track the symptoms, but from the beginning, he is he's treated as like the center of the universe by his dad. And then all of a sudden he's not anymore and he hates that, which is Right. So with a sign. It's not it's not so much it's I'm not, not sure so much what we're matter right of now. um mm-hmm. right. So you're, what you're what you're saying is that like for him first first to classify him as as sociopathic, you we would be saying that he doesn't have his own fall, that he's fallen by in, in birth. Nature versus nurture, that's what we're yeah. arguing here. Yeah, which is you can. It's that. It's not that. It's that. Um, Fanor is, and that's, that's a part of him because nothing is evil in the beginning. Um, I don't think applies to the idea that people are born um, flawless because they're they're obviously not born flawless, right? Even if he doesn't turn out to be a um, sociopath, you know. There's no sense in these books that characters are, are pinnacles of perfection. Right, sure. Um, except, except for, for Except for Fair. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel that dream. So for the most part, they've all got their own little flaws, yeah. right? Which is which is a quality of human nature. So Fanor, therefore, can be born, and he can be born sociopathic and still have um, a specific following traje- mm-hmm. trajectory of a fall that we can trace. <laughs> yeah, sure, good. Uh, okay, then we have this bit that I think we do have to talk about because the Angolan Lake comes back into play. Um, right, It was told by the Banyard who held vigil with the Valor that when the messengers declared to Manwe the answers of Fanor to his heralds, Manwe wept and bowed his head. But at that last word of Fanor, that at the least the Noldor should do deeds to live in song forever, he raised his head as one that hears a voice far off. Very interesting, right? Hears a voice far off. And he said, so shall it be. Dear bought, those songs shall be accounted, and yet shall be well bought, for the price could be no other. Thus, even as Eru spoke to us, shall beauty not before conceived be brought into Ea, and evil yet be good to have been. But, Mando said, and yet remain evil. To me shall Fanor come soon. This is so important. Mando's just sitting in the midst of chaos, being just like, evil though. Also, he's gonna die soon. <laughs> but, but, but that's very Im- that's very important in terms of the cosmos and like the, the 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 philosophy and the theology that Tolkien is saying, right? Because the temptation, and this happens all the time, especially in Christianity, and that's the crap out of me, right? <laughs> this idea that oh, if if good can come out of something bad, then the bad is good, right? Well, and that's what Tolkien is saying. No, no, no. Mandel's saying, no, 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 right? Yes, it's true that more good might come out of the evil, but we should not then think that the evil itself is not evil, right? Which is so important, right? Hi. Hello. Yeah, Nick? Well, yeah, cause, because like in the Andalindale, we saw that evil was not original, or discord was not a part of the creation. It was added in sort of later. Mm-hmm. And it was only after it was added that sort of Eru said, you know, even though there, this does exist, it will serve my purposes. It's not like Eru introduced discord and evil. Um, it, 
it was an external factor that he managed to sort of still work into his vision. Right. It's not something that he originally planned for, like, oh, God decided that there would be evil so that good could be born out of it. Right. God decided that good would come out of evil because it is present. Yeah. So that, so that, I think that Mandel's there is really important. I think. Um, yeah, Robert. I feel like this was a really important uh, growth moment for Mongoy. Mm. <laughs> He's been so naive up until now. Yeah. But now he finally understands that. Oh, there are bad things in the world. He's starting yeah. to recognize that. Yeah. And he can see, he can see what's supposed to happen, which I think is is important because up till now he's kind of been. Um, trying to believe the best, even when the evidence is against that. Right. And finally, the realization that there are bad things kind of feels like it broke him a little bit. Yeah. Which is why this is the first time we see him cry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's the knowledge that, like, he finally understands what the vision is. Right. That helps him compose himself and bring himself together. Yeah. Which I think is really important for, for him and, I don't know, just how important he is and how wise he is. I think. Yeah. Well, especially since, especially since, like, the Valar start to really fade into the background. Like, it'd be interesting to find out if we ever actually, if Monway ever makes an appearance again after this, right? In any, or if it has any line, you know? I'm not sure. But, but they're definitely... Like, you mean, like, before Arendil shows up and, like, the breaking of the world? And all right. But, yeah, but I'm not even sure Monway has anything to say in that part. Anyway, but but anyway, like so, I, I like that, Robert. I like how you're seeing this, this shift, and like it would almost be a nice way for Monway to exit the story, right? Is is with him coming to, yeah, Jordan. I just, I mean, yes, we don't get a lot of Manway. I, I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of, probably, if we just take this as more a paradigm of his character, not the fact that you know it took him a few, you know. You know, five ages of the world, and like to get to this point. But I, it, I like the idea of Manway probably crying over Melkor, just like mm. he cries over Feanor. Yeah, like that. Right. Yeah. Not the fact that because we it hasn't been written in for the. I mean, the terribly little that is actually written about their characters right. and not just their powers or their duties. So we don't really get all that much out of the, the Valar. Um, but I, I really do like the whole like he can see the best, uh, the 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 best in in this outcome. Uh, I think that really fits in with his whole like he knows the heart yeah. of Iluvatar best. He, right. he he can he can even when everyone else is like this is the worst thing to ever happen yeah. or one of the worst things, then he's like, but they're gonna do great things. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna do great things, and you know, yeah. and Mandos is still there to be. The, the the moral judge, yeah. Yeah. but so I, I, I kind of I, I, I like the dichotomy there, but I yeah. okay, I don't I don't want to make make the Valar to be a to be simpletons or right emotionally stunted or something yeah. like that right. yeah. emotionally naive. I mean they are they are acting according to the knowledge that they have yeah. available to them, yeah. right? Uh, and and we can't really expect them. Uh, any, okay, all right, well, uh, let's just keep going here. Um, I'm just going to read lines, because I, like I said, I didn't re get a chance to read this, so I'll just read the lines that I highlighted, and we'll see. Uh, so this is the next page over. Uh, it is said, indeed, that even as the Valor made war upon Melkor for the sake of the Quendi, 
So now for that time, they forbore for the sake of the Hildor, the aftercomers, the younger children of the Luvatar. For so grievous had been the hurts of Middle-earth in the war upon Atumno, that the Valar feared lest even worse should now befall, whereas the Hildor should be mortal and weaker than the Quindi to withstand fear and tumult. Moreover, it was not revealed to Manwe where the beginning of men should be, north, south, or east. Therefore, the Valar sent forth light, but made strong the land of their dwelling. Right? So, yeah, Jordan? Oh, sorry. No, that's, that's okay. It's better for you to talk with me. No, I was just going to mention, Manwe does show up by name in the uh, Akalabe. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, that, in Akalabe, that's right. He calls upon a Luvatar. That's right. That's, oh, that's right. He lays that, and the Valor lay down there. Yeah. And he also does have a little bit of a speech in um, of the voyage of AR. Ah, uh, okay. I was wondering if he showed up there. So, so, okay. but, but yes, he is... Exiting the story for yeah, I mean, I mean they, they basically withdraw, with the exception of Ulmo, who now is going to sort of be prominent, right? But then eventually they all will sort of. Uh... So, okay, so here you have the Valar's decision not to go to war with Morgoth like they did before. Which is probably wise. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Robert's starting to shit. Robert and I are kind of going, oh, you know, maybe. So we maybe killed Morgoth. Robert? But now everything else is dead. The, the well, difference this time. Starts in the beginning. And I think it's a, it's a product of them not taking the time to understand what Morgoth is at this point. Is that Morgoth really isn't that powerful anymore. He's got a lot of evil spread out everywhere. He's, he's put his, his power into other things. So it'd be a lot easier for them to go and, you know, try to help enough without there being this massive, tumultuous fight that might kill a bunch of people. And I think that's a product of them not bothering to seek knowledge that they don't have. Because they assume they have all the knowledge they need to make an informed decision. Okay. Which is kind of a pattern with them. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Corinne? Well, and you see this sort of thing where they're, they're making a lot of assumptions about men mm-hmm. who haven't, and I'm, I haven't read this in a while, so... I'm assuming they haven't awoken yet. Right. Um, they have had absolute. So that means they've had absolutely no contact with them. They just understand the fact that they're mortal, that they aren't like the elves and that. So yes, that's a difference. But they haven't. They haven't made that effort either to see exactly what the capabilities of this other people are, and they have no contact with them really ever until a Right. And they have no no understanding of man. So they are making a decision to pull back with again not gathering any sort of information on that and on the part and because they're doing this on the part of a people they've never met and they think they're doing really great things for them by abstaining and I'm not sure that that's necessarily the right choice maybe if they've made this after they've met them I could respect Mm -hmm. the decision okay Jordan um well for one the tech on your point, correct. The, the text explicitly says that they that for so for now for that time they forbade for the sake of the Hildor, the aftercomers, the younger children of Iluvatar. It is explicitly for men. Um, exactly. And I and I but I do agree that I think it is actually the wisest course of action since the next time they do actually fight, they're going to destroy all of Beleriand <laughs> right. and sink it. Like this is not. The, the, 
a, a war with the Valar is not just, you know, getting a, a few, a couple awesome siege weapons. This is continent-shattering warfare that we are talking about. And so I think the, the fact that we will abstain because we got a l bunch of little people that we don't actually know where they are running around that might die is yeah. kind of a, a big deal. You know, I, I, I can't help wondering, now, this is just off the top of my head, and again, I don't want to... Um, be too biographical, but I, you can, I can imagine that around the times of both world wars, there would have been these kinds of arguments made, mm -hmm. right? Let's not go to war, right? I mean, from the Britain side, let's not, you know, because of the damage it's going to cause. You know, I mean, I can imagine that 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 being in the air on some level. Yeah, Ryan. Um, when you said that, first thing that came into my mind was um, the French wanting to protect Paris and mm. not let the Germans destroy their precious Paris, mm -hmm. um, which definitely fits nicely into that. Um, but I think it's not really explicitly stated, but probably another big reason why they aren't wanting to fight is because they still respect the free will of Feanor. And even though they think the oath was the worst idea he could have possibly made, um, he still completely free to make that and they're going to respect the fact that he made that horrible decision. Yeah, And so right. if they came in and just wiped out Morgoth now, Feanor would be left being like, Vindication! <laughs> um, yeah. Do I celebrate or am I, right. I, am I still just this little kid next right. to the Valor? Which think, is exactly yeah. what he's trying not to be and what the Valor are trying to stop doing. New target acquired. <laughs> and I think there's even something later that actually, where, I don't know who it is, someone actually says something about how the, the, the doom of the oath has not fully been played out yet, and that's why they don't act. I can't remember where if that's in there or not. Yeah. For some reason, my mind has something. Yeah, Nick? Well, yeah, and I was going to say, like, it's, it's entirely valid that they, they wouldn't want to sort of risk men, like, the, the fate of men, considering that, you know, they they just don't know anything about them at this point. All they know is that they're coming. That's a valid reason, but then, you know, when you mentioned, like, the War of Wrath and when Valerian gets destroyed, that is only at the point when they've let Morgoth like rampage across the land for thousands and thousands of years, and they finally have to step in when the, when the problem has become very systemic. They let him kind of run loose as a terror to the land, and then that's sort of why there was all that large-scale destruction. Because, it's, it's, it's not because they waited too long. It's not like Melkor destroyed the foundations of the world by digging too deep, and they just accidentally crushed it when they walked on the land. No, the dwarves did. <laughs> I think Ryan. I think Ryan's right. He's got a point because, um, so, say the Valar go to war and um, beat Melkor, the Valar are now in possession of three Silmarils. Right. Um, but, but, the Feanor and Feanor and his family, their oath sets them against the Valar too. Yep. So, yep. what do the Valar do? The Valar give over the Silmarils to avoid going to war with people much weaker weaker than them. Do they just sit there and let the forces of Feanor exhaust themselves against their gates? Um, they drop them in the middle of the ocean and make Feanor no, die for it. <laughs> there's no good... Right. I feel like Tolkien looked at this and was like, this can't happen. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, and so didn't do it, because there's, yeah. just, there's no good solution to this, yeah. right? Yeah. For the Valar to go to war against Feanor would be um, ridiculous. Right. Feanor's house would be wiped out. For them to give the Silmarils to Feanor, on the other hand, would also be ridiculous because um, you don't give children giving temper having temper tantrums the things that they want. That's right. not how you. Except for most parents these days. <laughs> well, and I think I think Feanor would, if if he had the Silmarils, he would turn his attention to the other elf 
king that he would want yeah, to Yeah, he'd, so, he'd just pursue something yeah. else. I think, too, just in terms of narrative, Tolkien is being very careful not to... I mean, it's, I think, a little bit similar to the argument of why the eagles don't carry them into Mordor, mm -hmm. right? There would be no like, story. There would be no story, but also, right, the eagles are a kind of technology, right, that he wants to be careful it's not overused, right? And the valor would also be a kind of technology that, you know, right. they just come in and... And, and, just and I mean, this is supposed right? to be the story of the elves, anyways. Right. Like, yeah. this is not... Yeah. The story of the gods, right. kind of that's already been played out. Yeah. yeah, and we have an entire quarter of the book to tell the story of the gods. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, what's, what's there? And I think the Valor are very conscious of that, um, especially yeah. Manway realizes this is part of the song. Right. Um, yes. That we're not supposed right. to intervene. And have we already had uh, any hint of a Rendell prophecy at all, I think? Uh, oh, yeah, yes. it, well, at the end of this chapter, we have... Oh, the, the, there, there's the... Uh, thus it was that, as Mandos foretold to them in... Oh, Am yeah. Am the, the Blessed Realm was right. shut against the Noldor. The Mindless Mariner of Sons. Yeah, right. and of the many messengers that in after they sailed into the West, none came ever to Valinor, save right, okay. one only, right. the Mightiest Mariner. So. Okay, so so we have yeah the narrator the narrator, narrator right, right, mentions yes, it, right, but. right so we have we have um, uh, yeah the, the things have to unfold right and you need that you need a resolution that's going to sort of allow for sort of the redemption of of everybody right which is why you have a Randall who comes from each line and even Baron and Luthien yeah. you know that all and even and even as we were talking about like to elves decades or millennia might not seem like a great length of time right. <laughs> the the valor even more so right that, you know yeah. uh, letting melkor you know letting letting things play out so there's a few sent you know a few many generations of men to fight off melkor before they get petitioned to come and help might not seem yeah. like and they're thinking come on, how much damage can <laughs> okay. Uh, and, then he made, and then he made flying dragons, and it was way too much. That's right. Yeah, like, okay. This, I, I get to bring you know, like, challenge the line accepted. Right yeah. here, you made some sort of lizard with wings. <laughs> yeah. Fire breathing our shit in the <laughs> fire breathing. Lizards, lizards are not acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> Glower was fine, and Caligon, no. Yeah, nope, right. no, Walk, no, no walking lizards are fine, but when they're, they're aerial. You have gone too far, yeah. sir. <laughs> okay, so, uh, Arian, Arian, who someone pointed out when we went around was uh, the only example we know of a spirit of fire that doesn't become a Balrog. Yes. <laughs> Which is really cool. It right? is, yeah. Or otherwise turn evil. Uh, or otherwise turn evil, right? Exactly. I mean, this is, this is, what I like about it is it actually gives you a, uh, a picture of, of what happens when it doesn't, you know, when you yeah. don't have a spirit of fire become a Balrog. You can't right? look at She them. becomes a sun. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? I mean, it fills your options, I say it's pretty good that she was one of the few ones that didn't turn, because imagine, like, four or five sons in the sky. Everyone would just, like, die. Being spontaneous, like, across in middle earth. It's like, oops. You can see the Balrogs come up and go, wait a second. Jealous much? Or the other day, they're having too many moon spirits, and then have, like, the world swallowed by the oceans or something. 
the uh, the whole yeah. Anyway, okay, I don't know if it, anyone has any other comments. Fire Maya class of uh, yeah, yeah. 01 BC. Uh, I'm a little disappointed with how much they talk about Aryan because she had an incredibly rich narrative in the Book of Lost. It's true, actually. That's there right. was an entire thing where like yeah. she gets accosted by like several dark forces, that's right. and then yes. her light goes out a little bit, and that's why we're actually able to grow things and things don't right. spontaneously combust on. Yep, that's right. <laughs> and like even the building of the moon and the sun, it's so much richer. In yeah. The Book of Lost Tales. Well, this is what I said. You weren't about the fruit. Yeah, you weren't here yet, but I said how I think there was a letter where Tolkien actually says that the, of the sun and the moon is one of the stories that he was never happy with. I'm right? like, I don't understand why he wasn't happy with the Book yeah. of Lost Tales. Yeah, yeah it's, it's true. So yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, Nick. Well, and, and you know, like I said at the beginning of, of this session, where I, I find it interesting how Morgoth, you know, like sends evil forces against the moon, which is a really mm -hmm. cool visual. Um, you know, how does he do that? But, like, the, the son, he is unwilling to sort of face her in, in the same way. Yeah. It's interesting how, you know, he's totally willing to, you know, fight the moon, the spirit of Orme, but when it comes to the sun, sort of, you know, what kind of promotes that fear within him? Heat? <laughs> yeah, like I said, like, is, is he, like, vampiric and then he's sort of so fallen that he... I think I think the like, sun is just more powerful than the moon. I think yeah. it's that it's like a holy yeah. fire. Plus, yeah. she she has like a fruit or something from the tree. Or something. I don't think like that was in this edition. Yeah, no, no. Um, oh, some, the like, they do still. Oh, they do still both have. Yeah, like, they're like, there's a fruit and a leaf, and they're using oh, the same. Yes. Fruit. I yeah. thought you said the flute. I thought you said flute. Oh, me too. Oh, oh. Yeah. no. Well, that's. That, I mean, those are those. The, those are the sources of the light. The the, the yeah, fruit. So, uh, so right. the fruit and the flower. Yeah. yeah. So if a Silmaril burned Morgoth, then right. That's okay. Yeah. Because because they hallowed this too. Ah, that's right. So. Yeah, there might true. also be an argument for the fact that she abandons her Valor form and takes her Einar form. Ah. I thought, because right. I thought the assumption was that once you take a Valor form, you can't get out of it. No, 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 no they can. They, okay, they, okay. But it's once they enter the, once they enter into the realm of the Earth, they can't. Yeah, but they're, she, they're tied to its history. She, but she, she doesn't, <coughs> she no longer takes like a physical form like that of the children is what. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, right, like, so she's still, she's still taking a form, it's just okay. the form of making uh, flames instead of. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's going to be kind of intimidating. <laughs> we, were, <laughs> yeah. we were just brushing what I thought was the coolest thing in this um, edition of the creation of the sun and the moon, and that's how much the Valor are working together. Mm, um, right, which is really cool because the trees was Yavanna and Nienna, um, yeah. but now it's Yavanna and Nienna starting it, and then um, Aule making these globes, and then Manwe hallowing them, and then Barda helping them get into the sky, yeah. and it's just and directing them once they're there, and it's just this, it's like if the Silmarils were like the life's work of the, um, of 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 Feanor, like this is kind of the thing of the Valor, yeah. which they will never do again. Yeah, and Tolkien, I think, we've yeah, as we pointed out, right, like, he see, he, he's envisioning here something about cooperation, right, uh, and how things, it's always best when people work together. I mean, this is true. <laughs> yeah, Jaws just 
you haven't read the Book of Lost Tales, have you, Ryan? Uh, not in its entirety. Okay, because like way. you're saying, it's really nice that they'll work together, as opposed to the Book of Lost Tales version, where Aule literally does everything. Aule <laughs> <laughs> just makes everything. Yeah, that's he right. makes all the houses. He makes yeah, all the boats. He makes right. the sun and the moon. Constantly and like the rest of the the Valar are just like sitting back on like lawn chairs yeah. and sipping a cocktail out of a cocktail. Yeah, I don't remember. Do you, do you remember who drops the moon? Oh yeah, one of them drops the moon. Like I said, it's such a much better tale than yeah, what you get. Is, wait, wait. In this case, I would agree. Yeah, is it better does than does something Goliath like capture the sun or the moon at one point and everyone will like kill it? No, kills uh, Goliath. Well, that was one, one of the that was one of the original ta- one like Arendel. Is... Versions on Goliath is killed by Arendel. Yeah, in yeah, this uh, one, oh, she is it the Dagger Daggerath though? Yeah, nah, no, 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 it's not. The Dagger Daggerath he kills. No, and Kel- and Kelgon the Black. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's in one of the stories where Arendelle Like, this is early, yeah, early stuff as well. I don't know if it's early or late. But I, 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 th- I thought part of the point of him killing the, with the, him killing on Goliath version was that she had captured, like, grabbed the sun yeah, in maybe. her webs at the end of the earth maybe. and he yeah, had to, like, go yeah. find he'd it go, or something. Yeah, he'd go risk but I, yeah, that could be. That's a super common trope in a lot of mythologies. Like, yeah. the sun gets captured and then, like, the culture hero has to go save the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Nick? Well, and like Ryan was saying, too, at the beginning, it's interesting how. In most sort of mythologies, the sun and moon would kind of be among the first things that right. are created or the first things that emerge, but only Tolkien would have them be kind of secondary and less important than trees. Right. He's building on on the on the Christian story, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, because in 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 many mythologies, the sun and the moon are gods, right? Yeah. And in the Genesis story, they're not. They're just lights and then, in the sky. Uh, and then, right? of course, science will tell you that life is possible because of the sun. But you know, Therefore, we should all worship it? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Possibly. That's a good job. At least I can yeah, see Sarah. the sun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, related, related to Tolkien's fascination with trees, Sophia and I were in the Amazon bookstore the other day, and she's like, I found the most Tolkien book ever. It's not even by Tolkien. Um, and it's just this book in the back, and it's sitting in there, and it's called, like, Encounters with Wonderful Trees. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. amazing. It's a bunch of trees also excellent. It's just yeah, a bunch right. of pictures yeah, that's of a really cool trees. I can, I can just picture his mother, like, reading him a book like that when he was young. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, Matthew. This, this, just, just going off that, yeah. this, isn't, this isn't about the text, but my professor in the Tolkien class just showed us this, this to- like, floor in Tolkien or something book, and it's written by, I think, a biologist. Who was talking? It's um, the Folio Society is doing an edition of it for Christmas or something yeah. like that. But it's it's all just the plants and things in Tolkien, huh. from ants to nice. I don't know, probably the flowers in the Orient or something right. like that. It cool. looks kind of cool. So yeah. I for that. I'm hoping hmm. to buy one. Yeah. Please bring it. Okay, I want to move on to some other points here. Um, this is, uh, I think, something we need to talk about. Uh, and Arian, we've talked about this a little bit, but. Uh, and Arian Morgoth feared with a great fear, but dared not come nigh her, having indeed no longer the power. So the sun oh, seemed to be an issue okay. with the sun, right? For as he grew in malice, and sent forth from himself the evil that he conceived in lies and creatures of wickedness, his might passed into them and was dispersed. And he himself became ever more bound to the earth, unwilling to issue from his dark strongholds. So this becomes a theme around evil, right? Yes. 
And so I just will, I see already. So we'll start with Joseph. We talked about this when we fell down a hole when we were talking about the Ina Lindelay of like the difference between like power and good and power and evil. Right. And like yeah. evil is a battery. Right. Whereas good is like a power plant. As yeah. long as you keep having like. It's a rechargeable battery. It's a rechargeable yeah. battery. Well, <laughs> also, I, think, I think a really important difference Renewable. Is, right? The, okay. the, the so called renewable energy of good is, is I think tied directly to the, the cooperation, mm -hmm. right? Because you are bouncing off, you know what I mean? You're, whereas Morgoth is alone, right? He has no one to refill him. I wouldn't even say that. You know what I mean? It's that, like, for the renewable energy, it's tied some way to the song, and the song is a cooperative effort, first of all, mm. but it's kind of like this underpoint of existence that you're able to draw energy from. Whereas, okay. like, if you're working against the song, you kind of have to be working against the current or, like, the flow. Ah, of the right, against right. the grain of the universe. Hmm. Close, Stanley Hauerwas. Yeah, Jordan. Um, <laughs> sorry, okay. sorry, sorry. It's okay, Matthew. Um, yeah, I think what, what you're saying about the cooperation thing is interesting too, because one of the things that strikes me here is there's a, there's a sort of a certain tendency within Christian thought too to talk about evil as a dispersive and dividing force, right? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that it's not just Malfoy's forces has has diminished; it's that it's like dissipated, it's like mm -hmm. fracturing it out, um, as opposed to a unifying. Of a tendency, which is you could talk about cooperation within the sense of fostering unity. But. Nice. Okay. Sarah? I don't think it's just unity either. I mean, like, that's um, an important thing, too. But I think, like, the connection to the song, and specifically, there remains a connection to Limitar. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, they're cut off from them, kind of, because now they're in the world. But at the same time, um, they're working within his bounds to um, enact his purpose, whereas Melkor's constantly working against him. So Melkor has limited amount of power um, that he that, that wears down um, as he gives it out to other people and uses it. Whereas the Valar aren't going anywhere anytime soon because they've got a purpose in the world, mm -hmm. right? And they're not they're not um, diminishing. I mean, they're not being involved the way that Melkor is, but they're also not diminishing. They're just sitting there, um, and because of their connection, the fact that they're working with the song and with Illumitar's purpose in the world, um, they, I think they're continue, they're drawing that, uh, that source of that energy is from there. Okay. Ryan? I just want to push back against this a little bit, um, because the farther you get into the Silmarillion up until the Eucatastrophe, um, it really doesn't feel like we, evil's getting weaker at all. Like, it, when you're reading it from the perspective of the elves, it's like there's just these advancing hordes coming from Thangorodrum, and we can't stop them no matter how hard we try. And they're just coming, and they're coming, and they're coming. They're like Russians in the Second World War. Um, it's, yeah, so, it, I mean, I can see that, yes, um, Morgoth is scared and alone um, and is getting rid of anyone who might be able to help him, like Ungoliant, and he's hiding, but... Um, it doesn't really feel like his army or his power is dissipating. Um, it's just keep, it's still pushing. I think though, one thing to consider is all, like, almost as soon as the doom is stated by Mandos, it's the elves that start to fade, right? So it's not that Mel Morgoth is necessarily getting stronger as much as it's the elves that are getting weaker, right? Which is why Luthien can go right into the very stronghold of Sauron and sing it and destroy it, right? 
But you, but, but you can't have that in the Third Age, where an elf goes into Mordor and takes out Sauron's tower. I don't know. I've seen the Hobbit movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure Toriel can do anything that you can do. <laughs> but you're right. So, so there's a sense where the elves themselves are getting weaker, right? And that's why it seems that this, the, that Sauron is so much stronger. But in fact, if anything, he's either the same or also being diminished. But because of the fading, you don't have that same. Mm. Okay, lots of hands. We'll start with, uh, oh, Corinne, and then Jesse, because they haven't said much yet. Well, and, I mean, looking at it sort of thing, like like what we've been talking about at the very end, where, you know, essentially the Valar go to battle with Morgoth and destroy an entire continent and throw it into the sea sort of deal. Mm-hmm. Again, a cooperative effort, because mm-hmm. I don't think Morgoth on his own, I mean, that would solve a lot of his problems, is take out the elves, and if he could on his own, and, maybe, and it probably at one point when they were first forming... The world, and he is destroying everybody's stuff and making caverns and mountains and things that weren't supposed to be there mm-hmm. in the first place. He might have been able to, you know, knock a continent into the sea, sort of deal. But he has hordes and hordes and hordes that are coming, and this is sort of where the the power is dissipating because it's not like his. I mean, his hordes are mortal. Mm-hmm. His as soon as you kill orcs. They're gone, and that's sort of like a piece of power that is forever lost of his that he cannot regain back. And it's not like he can sort of reverse um, the making of, you know, Glaurung or uh, like you know, it's not like he can reverse. He, he's not vampire killing his own orcs to get his power back. Exactly. So <laughs> while called. he's while he's squandering his power into making these vast hordes, eventually through battle or through their own mortal means they are going to disappear and that is part of his power that disappears forever whereas what the Valar make is are things like the earth which renews itself or um, in you know making Valinor that the Ivana is also an example of this where she makes the trees and she has poured enough of that power into it that she can never do that mm-hmm. again it is a good and cooperative effort but it's not something that she can accomplish ever again and that is also a more singular effort while it is good it is not something that can renew itself so you see just in general as well a singular effort that isn't cooperative cannot regenerate okay jesse uh yeah actually i was going to say something similar to corinne where morgoth's power is diminished to the point where he's maimed permanently Mm -hmm. by an elf and he's afraid to even leave his house but he's putting all his power (laughs) He got he got elf tetanus. <laughs> and he even has like a watchdog. And they're like, it's not even it's not even like he's afraid of, of being ugly. It's just what if someone else hits me? Right, right. Like, so he's he's much diminished from that. Plus, like Karen was saying, he's pouring his energy into creating into twisting and corrupting the orcs and the dragons and the balrogs and the trolls and the everything. Yeah, so like he, that, that's where his power is going. So even though it seems like, yeah, he has got an overwhelming amount, because the Valar have a huge amount of power, um, he himself is very much diminished. Mm-hmm. Good. Nick? Well, and I was, you know, just to go back to the Anna Lindale, you know, like the, the Valar and, and most of the elves and the men, they stay true to Ilubitar, and therefore they sort of bask in like the light of the flame imperishable. Like they sort of because they are true to like Illuminar's vision, they are sort of the, you know like the renewable energy metaphor. But but like Morgoth, 
he chose to turn away from that. You know, like when started when he went to the void, he chose to be on his own to sort of break from that unity. And it's because of that that he sort of is on his own without kind of you know he's forced to give up himself to make these creations. And it's the same choice that Feanor made when he and his son swear the oath and leave Valinor. They choose to break from the unity and they turn away from the light, and that's why they they fade and they diminish. Okay. Uh, Sarah? Yeah, I think it's just a hierarchy, really. Um, to the elves, he's still very powerful because the Valar are exponentially more powerful than the elves are. Um, and so the elves are like, man, these are a lot of orcs because he can, he can keep producing them, he can keep making more things um, out of the measure of his power. But compared to the other Valar, he's diminishing rapidly. Like, he is diminishing, um, but he's just gotten, he's gotten enough. There's enough of him. There's a different sense of scale at play yeah. between the elves and the Valar. Yeah, the, they, he can overwhelm the elves easily, yeah. but should the Valar go to war against him? But I mean, you still have, it's true, but I mean, you still have, like Jesse said, I mean, Fingolfin gets into armed combat with him yeah. and does damage, right? Yeah. That would never happen in Middle Earth against Sauron, right? No elf could go into, yeah. into armed combat. I mean, you couldn't anyway because he was no longer physical form. Whatever, 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 right? <laughs> But like, well, I don't know, they cut off his he, he does. Well, that's true, right? And, and yeah. a man cuts off his fingers, yes. right. even an elf. Right, so, so, but again, yeah, okay, so Middle-earth, so I'll say the Third Age, right? By the time he you does, get to the Third Age, he does have a right? form. you can't, like, he Aragorn can. could not just go up and say, hey, okay, let's let's battle this out, right? Oh, oh, he, he, he does have a physical form, though. Gollum says he Gollum says he said he saw the hand. Yeah, he saw the four-fingered right. hand. Yeah, but I don't know how much we, we can trust Gollum. Yeah. It's <laughs> so, so you yeah. prefer the flaming eyeball? <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying <laughs> what is so wrong the, with the, the flaming eyeball? The text is nothing. The text is ambiguous. Is what I, 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 yeah. Right. So, I'm sorry. I was just throwing in there right. that I believe. But I do, I do want to get back to. Okay, so I do think that um, <clears throat> the question of the connection to Iluvatar, right? I think that. Yes, on one level, Morgoth has sort of cut himself off from Iluvatar, but of course, not not fundamentally, right? Because nothing can be cut off from Iluvatar, right? right? So, because if that happens, you wouldn't exist, I think. So, so I want to get back to that. Plus, again, this idea of cooperation and and not not cooperating. And when you look at the villain, sort of across the board. There is a tendency for isolation, right? So we saw that with Melkor, we saw it with Feanor, we see it with Gollum, and right? we see it with Sourman, we see it with Denethor, you know what I mean? There's a theme that that evil, and, and maybe now that's too strong when we're talking about Gollum and so on, but but evil is by, by nature, by definition, sort of isolationist, <clears throat> right? And that is part of its very weakness, right? That's the thing, that's one of the things I think that undermines it, right? Uh, whereas with the Valar, right, they are constantly sort of cooperating and working together, and therefore they are never diminished, except as you say, yeah, they do these big massive projects that they can't do again. But I don't think that's the same kind of diminishing that we're seeing with yeah. with, with Morgoth. Right? You got in a fight with Yavanna, then. Even if you did get hurt, you get better. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like if Fingolfin said, I challenge Yovana to a duel, right? Yeah. Even, even if you hurt her and right. you know, live, 
I guess I was going to mention, well, for, yeah, with the one, the, the whole, like, the sun, with the sun causing Melkor to hide away, I yeah. guess that's, you know, almost one of the, you know, it's almost, it's not a direct a attack by the Valor, but it is showing that, the, like, that the, the powers of the Valor are keeping Melkor quite contained yeah. in comparison yeah. to, you know, just letting him wander free around Beleriand uh, and Middle yeah. Earth as he pleased. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was also going to mention with this the fact that we do get to mention that he makes Thangorodrum when he returns over right. Ang Angband. Yeah. The, the whole, I mean, you know, I mean, it, I mean, he does that, I guess, before the sun. But you know, kind of a, you know, then he once the sun comes up, he also makes lots of volcanic clouds and ash to, you know, hide himself, you yeah. know, through all this rock and dust to, you know, keep the sun out, <laughs> you know, really, really containing himself in this, like, I have to stay in here because I don't like this big glowy thing that's out there. Right. Yeah. Red Red Yeah. Well, I mean, there, I mean, there's a nice parallel with Gollum there, too, right? Yeah. yeah. He just makes his own mountains. Yeah. Well, he hides from the sun. Yeah. With Gollum, right? And he hates both faces. Yeah, right. He hates both faces. Yeah, Robert? I think the weirdest thing about about this for me is that the orcs really have trouble fitting into this this kind of paradigm because they're very social. They're always talking about the boys. You know, they don't right. have, you never see an orc alone hunting in the woods. They just don't do that. They're very communal. They have healing that they distribute to people. They don't just right. go there and die. Yeah. There's they fit so many things that are kind of good in this paradigm. Yeah, but they're not. Right. That's that's because the orcs are originally good. Like I think that's the last remnants of the fact that they are the Avari, um, that they are elves. Um, that's where that good communal helping nature comes from. Well, I, I mean, the drink parallels the end draft too, right? Which is really cool in, in that whole story. And um, and you don't. But, but see that's the, a good point. You don't see that type of communion with the creatures that Melkor just kind of makes on his own like the dragons, um, for example. They're very, very isolated, um, and that isolation destroys the dragons. Um, yeah, so I think it's because the orcs are supposed to be good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was going to mention that they're also not the top of the food chain. They are, by nature, slaves. Right, Get, like the whole thing about the the kind of solitary is that the higher up in the chain of command you are as evil, in the you know the the more the less peers you get until you're at the top, mm. and there's you know you're the last one, and right because and I mean I also think that orcs, I don't think Melkor is necessarily having to expend his energy making every single orc. I I think he can just let them breed. Right. <laughs> he, he might have to expend power to control to keep enslaving them all every you know all of them but not making them in that sense and so I, I agree kind of the whole like the social aspect is almost a natural part of them as you know bastardized children of Iluvatar that that is you know that that is a remnant of their part but they they, they do make societies and stuff they're not just right. loner berserkers or something yeah I mean it's hard to it's hard you don't want to try to force the hobbit into it too far, right? But I mean, you have Goblin Town, you have the three trolls that seem to be buddies. They, they, they like, they like, to, they like to make, you know, they're killing people and eating people. But 
They have universities where they, they uh, you know, go into, you know, to well, torture engineering and all those, the making oh, of weapon, uh, yeah, nasty yeah, weapons, you know, they, they have some fun. and apprenticeships than universities. Like, class. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to Nate, not to you. <laughs> Make sure that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, Matthew. It is, it's worth pointing out that they have some serious tendencies to self, like to destroy each other as well. Like there's right. like all the stuff that happens when Frodo and Sam get right. to Mordor and Kirithungal, right? When they just kill each other, right. leave each other with Shelob and kind of like laugh. Oh, he's hanging there, he's going to eat him. Right. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> Right, and then there's that when there's after the fight, I can't remember exactly what the line is. Yeah, but Frodo has some some line after they dis uh, destroy each other. Maybe it's after they see the two. He sees the two orcs bickering. Points out that like they, they ha if they don't, as soon as they see someone else, they'll come together. So it's a scapegoat thing. Right. But, um, they won't. They're, they're, they do have some serious tendencies to just be spending time killing each other. And Frodo has some line about like that's the spirit of the Mordor, right? Right. So yes, they, they are like. They unite against a common enemy, yeah. right? But if there's no common enemy, they're they they're eventually going just yeah, just right. kind of obliterate each other. And um, I mean, I, the communal life that they do have, I, I definitely agree with uh, Ryan on this, um, is because they're they're corrupted from the good. But the, the corruption is, is definitely there. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, Robert. It's interesting that you mentioned about the spirit of order. That that makes a lot of sense too, um, when you consider that the orcs that are the least tied to Mordor. You know, the ones that are living in their caves and don't want to be helping, they're almost the most united amongst themselves. They don't, right. they don't, they aren't as self-destructive. They just want to go back to their community right. and do their thing. You know, they're not, they're not always squabbling over yeah. who gets to be the, the boss or, right. Presumably, yeah. yeah. They just like to kill off people. Right, yeah. Well, and there is, a, there is a, <laughs> there, yeah, there's also, and this is kind of, there's some mystery around this too, right, that, like, as especially in the third age, right? As Sauron awakens, there seems to be a more of a call. You know what I mean? So like when you're in the, in the Hobbit, the goblins are kind of like you're describing. They're just kind of doing their own thing, right? But once Sauron seems to start to move, then there seems to be this weird. So like Tolkien at one point, like he has this great line where he says, you know, like it's a question of like why is Old Man Willow awake? Like Tom Bombadil seems to suggest that Old Man Willow is not supposed to be awake. But he is a weak. Why is that? And and uh, in a letter, Tolkien says because the Nazgul are camping over the next valley. Really? Right? And that is actually waking up. And the Barrowites is the same. Why are the Barrowites awake? Right? Because the Nazgul are right. You know what I mean? So there's a sense that as Sauron starts to right, the Ring also wakes up, right, and abandons Gollum, right. Whereas before, for three hundred years or more, whatever that was, it was just seemed content to right. So there is a sense, I think, that. Maybe when Sauron starts to really wake up, that the orcs also begin to feel this pull and begin to start, right? Whereas before, maybe the beginning, maybe. Fascinating. It's like a hollow system of power where it's like a big pool of power and you can't drop a stone in without affecting everything right. else in the pool. Right. And remember, because all power is derivative, right? So, so like, like Malkor's, like any power that the orcs have is Morgoth's power, right? Any power that Sauron has is Morgoth's. So, so it's all kind of this weird, weird kind of connection. There's a quantum physics joke in there about like spooky forces at a distance and whatever. <laughs> you kind of get to see the opposite of that drawing together um, when Sauron's defeated, because immediately these orcs right. could you know 
kill everybody or confused. Yeah, and they yes, don't know what's right. going on and they just yeah, they all just run away. Or, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, which probably makes the clearing out of Kirathong a lot easier than it sounds. Uh, okay, well, great.